0: But after a while, the wadi dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel, so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little jug of oil. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, "'Do not be afraid. Go and do as I have said, "'but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, "'and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. "'For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'the jar of meal will not be emptied, "'and the jug of oil will not fail "'until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth.'" So she went and did as Elijah said, so that she, as well as he, and her household, ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Amy. Grace and peace to you all this morning. So sometimes I think that we think of the Bible as like a sales pitch for God, and the big supernatural deeds of power that God does are the main selling points. Like I think sometimes we see the Bible and we think we're supposed to react like, wow, that God character sure can do some stuff that I can't. I better get on board and believe. But if that's our lens for the Bible, I'm not sure why this story made the cut. In terms of impressive displays of God's power in the Bible, this one doesn't even crack the top 100. After seeing God make the whole universe out of nothing, Making a little bit of flour and oil last longer than it should, lacks a certain punch. you think that the Bible's editors would have passed on this one, on a miracle this small. But here it sits. Why did they keep it? Because the Bible isn't a sales pitch for God. The Bible reveals a living God who shows up to us in more than just mighty, flashy, supernatural ways. This story is like our story, chock full of miracles. Not necessarily the flashy kind, but small, quiet ones that God performs in the human heart. Let's count them. So Elijah, he's a prophet, and he's called to minister to his own people, the Israelites. But suddenly, God asks him to travel to Zarephath, a foreign land. And in an age of strong tribalism, tribalism intensified by a famine, the first miracle of this story is that Elijah goes. He trusts this nudge that from God more than the rules his society has given him about who is on limits and who is off limits, and he risks expanding his sphere of concern. It's the miracle of wideness. And there's another hidden miracle along these lines. See, Elijah is used to being in the company of kings and military commanders and other big deals. Yet it is a widow that God has commanded to provide for Elijah. And this is an odd choice for God, because widows are usually the ones who are provided for, not the providers. Without husbands to earn a living and hold property, widows lived on the edges of society. They didn't have much. They had to receive off of the kindness of others to eke out their survival. Yet it is God who says that it is a widow who will provide for Elijah. And Elijah believes God. He turns away from climbing toward places of power and influence and privilege. And he becomes downwardly mobile to follow God's call. It's a miracle. The miracle of dropping out of the rat race. And this newfound freedom helps Elijah see that God is working in more people and places than he had imagined before. That God is working in ordinary, humble, uninfluential people. And this makes him trust that this foreign, poor, widowed woman he meets at the edge of town has a role to play in what God is doing in the world. This widow... She does not see this in herself. When Elijah wanders into her town and asks her for some water and food, she points out the obvious. There is a drought. Crops have failed. She is already poor, and the change in climate has left her with so little that Elijah has caught her in the middle of preparing her final meal. She is planning to nibble on a little cake with her son and then simply wait around <laughs> until they starve to death. There is no logical reason for Elijah to say the words, but nevertheless, they appear. Do not be afraid, Do not be afraid. These are words of protest against the world as it is. Words that do not regard the status quo as fixed and unchangeable. Words that refuse to accept the scarcity that meets the eye as the most real thing there is. And it's a miracle. The miracle of hope. They might not be able to control the rain, but they know that in the middle of this drought, the scarcity doesn't have to control their souls. And then there's the widow's response. She doesn't have much to give, but she gives it anyway. And this, too, is a miracle. The miracle of sharing. For any time there is sharing, there is a recognition that life is bigger than our own individual existence. This widow has sensed that she is not meant to do life alone, that her well-being is tied to the well-being of this stranger, and that somehow it is more meager to hoard what she has than to share it with Elijah. And God sees this woman sharing. And God sees that it is holy. And so God blesses it by making it last until the drought is no more. It's my guess that if we asked, most of you would not say that Mount Olivet is in a drought right now. Things feel very full here. Worship is well attended. We're doing fine on our budget, and we just renovated our kitchen and community room, and it is tempting in the face of these flashy external things that this is where God is performing the miracles. And indeed, God has shown up here. But we can't. Just think that God is only active in these big events. If we take nothing else from Scripture today, it's that God is active in the quiet and profound miracles in our hearts, too. And it is these ordinary miracles, the same miracles we see in today's story, that we can put our faith in here So God is working the miracle of wideness at Mount Olivet. You are expanding your sphere of concern to include people you never would have met in our siloed-off society. Kids who experience food insecurity at Northport Elementary, families with incarcerated parents through parenting with purpose, or even other people here, Of a different generational cohort. I think about our knitters and crocheters, which somehow pulls from baby boomers and Gen Xers and millennials and even Gen Zers. And miraculously, we see you at Mount Olivet dropping out of the rat race. This has somehow become a place to resist the cultural pressure to climb to places of perfection and status. And I gotta say, that's hard in the suburbs, where you're supposed to project that your life is smooth and easy, and where your family ought to look like they're ready to pose for a Christmas card at any moment. You are. Subvert the suburbs and move downward to name the tough truths that you're actually living through. Grief, mental illness, divorce, suicide, the fear you fear feel about our world and your desire to make a difference. This is a place where you have named those things, and that is a miracle the miracle of hope, that is taking root here too. Amidst a national decline in church attendance and engagement, a decline that really ought to inspire fear in us if we were using our brains, it's a miracle that that fear hasn't entered these doors and started to control our life. We are not asking the fear question in this place of how will we survive. We are asking, what is God calling us to do? How is God's story being written among us? And these are questions you can only ask in hope. But by far, the biggest miracle God is working here is in sharing. The miracle of sharing. And obviously, money is a big part of this. And many of you are thoughtful and generous. And if you don't give financially, you really ought to try it. But there's something deeper here. It's a sharing of life. It's difficult to measure. It doesn't show up easily in statistics. But it looks like This widow realizing that her destiny has suddenly become bound up with her neighbors. So what else can she do but share her jar? It's this sense of being in it together. Of being part of something larger than yourself here. Something that draws you out of your silo and your own individual existence, something that puts you on a collision course with God made known through God's beloved community. For those blessed enough to experience the miracle of sharing yourself in community here, we know the difference it has made in your lives. We see this, Pastor Beth and I, Mount It members, They drift away from this place when they feel like it's a place only for themselves and their family, like it's a pit stop for their spiritual needs to get serviced before they can head back into their lives cleanly and untouched and with business as usual. We see that if people come into this place and keep what they have in their jar for themselves, it doesn't last. It goes bad, and they don't find blessing here. But for those of you who have cast your lot in with this assorted crowd gathering here week after week, pouring forth the contents of whatever jugs and jars you bring, you know how God's abundance has flown Not just from you to your neighbor, but back to you in a way that you could never ask for or imagine. You know how you have been changed because you have shared your life here. You know the miracles God has performed in your heart. You know the fresh, new ways you've seen God. And how your life has taken turns you wouldn't have chosen for yourself yet you still find yourself feeling grateful for. And even when it's hard here, you sense that your life is truer because you are part of a community where God has promised to show up. And if that doesn't describe you, if you're holding your jar on the sidelines, then hear the invitation. You aren't just welcome here, you are needed. It's going to take all of us to feed this hungry world. And the promise of God is that there is someone here who needs your presence, your investment, your story, the unique gifts that only you are bringing into this place. We are all changed when you share your life here. For that is how God works among us. That is the kind of God we have. A God who graciously takes whatever gifts you have in your jar, however small, who uses them to connect us in community, and then who makes them last until our hunger is no more. This fall, we are letting you finish the sermon. And we are letting you do this not only by writing on the slips in your bulletin, but then after worship by sharing publicly on the apron in the Welcome Center your response to a question. And today the question is, what is in your jar? What are you called to share in this place? What will you give here that God will use to provide nourishment for all. God bless you in your thinking and in your sharing. Amen.